Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Podcast. Today we're going to be talking with Brian Carden. Let me tell you about Brian. You're going to be really impressed with him. Uh, he graduated from Findlay University's physical therapy program. That's over in Ohio, if you haven't heard of it before. He's been practicing outpatient physical therapy in central PA since 1994. He received his pedorthic training at Temple University's School of Podiatric Medicine, and he's currently the president and CEO of Cardin and Miller Physical Therapy, which has four locations in central Pennsylvania. They provide state-of-the-art 3D imaging to help create customized foot orthotics in addition to providing full-service outpatient orthopedic physical therapy. He's also treated numerous professional athletes and works with all kinds of different diagnoses. So, Brian, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. So, when we think about the mechanics of the foot and running in general, uh, we'll take a quote from Gray Cook. I like Gray Cook. He says, the body always sacrifices the quality of movement for quantity. Keeping that in mind, when it comes to like lack of mobility, especially in the foot and ankle, this is real common amongst the running population. What are the typical kind of compensations that you see uh, people coming into your clinic with? Ooh, specific to runners, um, you know, running is a linear motion. Yep. And, and runners in particular tend to be a bit neurotic, uh, depending on on where they are in the running spectrum, right? You get your, your average Joe runner who's out there, to your super passionate runner, they, they don't tend to do things in moderation. They tend to do things uh, to, the, to the extreme. And running takes time. Mm -hmm. And so many times in the running population, there's an imbalance mm -hmm. in running taking in the, the majority of their exercise time. They do very little outside of running. And so what we see from a, from a loss mobility standpoint in a large share of runners is these patterns of, of chronic linear motion with very little lateral motion and very little time given to strength and power. Right. You know, running's an endurance sport. And you would think, well, boy, you know, the, the layperson might think a runner's got really strong legs. Well, the runners have particularly strong muscle groups, but they tend to develop patterns of weakness and patterns of abnormal mobility uh, that then lead to problems. Most commonly in runners, if we're going kind of broad scope, I would say we see chronic shortening of the Achilles tendon. Mm -hmm. uh, we see a lot of hip flexor uh, shortness. Yep. We see a, a good bit of weakness in the posterior chain, like through the glutes and the hamstrings, and then uh, hip rotator weakness because there's very little time. You know, picture a hockey player, for example, who's who's pushing laterally all the time. Right. Runners do so very little of that, and so uh, they tend to develop these patterns of weakness, and then those can kind of tend to turn into overload of joints based on those patterns of weakness and tightness. Right, for sure. And I like how you bring up that runners typically just run. There's not a whole lot of other mobility work that occurs there. And there's not a whole lot of strength work that occurs there. And I see a lot of times that runners could benefit from eccentric loading, especially to places like the Achilles. Uh, they could benefit from general strengthening programs. Um, is there any kind of things as far as exercise is concerned that you would kind of shy away from with runners? Would you say no squats because, you know, you don't have the mobility or would you say, hey, you know, the squat is a functional movement pattern. We need to get you back to the ability to at least squat to parallel. I think the answer is in the middle yep. there. And the middle answer is that an error we see, I think, in athletes at, at large mm -hmm. uh, of all levels is that we tend to think that I'm either doing you know, my sport or my activity 
or I'm strength training. And we, we, we do very little focus on moving correctly. Yep. And so, you know, you mentioned Gray, a big emphasis on proper movement patterns. And right. in, in our, one of our businesses at MedGym, everybody we, we, we evaluate, we evaluate a functional movement screen. Yep. And our first focus is to find out how does the person move, where do they move incorrectly, restore that proper mobility, and then load it up. Mm-hmm. Right. So the error is in most runners, okay, I'm going to do my running because that's what I do. And I, I kind of equate running to a, to a sport or activity that a lot of people wouldn't think of yep. because we also work with this other group, and it's ballet. And ballet is the same thing. To be a better dancer, you dance. Yep. And you dance more, and you dance more, and you dance more. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, it helps with your skill. But the old school in ballet was you don't strengthen, you don't build power, you don't do these things. That is slowly melting away. And just like in the running community, we're realizing – we can begin to gain strength and power, but those two groups are very similar. The body type of a runner can't look like a bodybuilder. Right. The body type of a ballerina cannot look like a bodybuilder. There's an aesthetic involved in ballet, and, and simply in, in, in running, there's a mass issue. Mm-hmm. You know, moving the mass of somebody carrying a whole bunch of muscle mass is totally different than moving lean, uh, stable muscle mass that doesn't overly is not overly heavy. So, uh, yes, I'm a big fan of squats and lunges and lateral movement and being a well-balanced athlete mm-hmm. but figuring that fine line between how do i build strength and power where i want strength and power over time not mm-hmm. just strength and power and ensure in short bursts right no that makes a lot of sense and i like how you kind of brought up the three different populations there bodybuilders dancers runners because although they're all very different and have very different goals they all have this one thing in common that everything they do starts from the feet. Ballet, it starts from the feet. Running, it starts from the feet. Bodybuilding, you're not going to squat if your feet aren't on the ground. Sure. You're not going to deadlift if your feet are not on the ground. Uh, and you know, when it comes to foot mechanics and the feet in general, I feel like this is an area that's often neglected because people don't understand that, hey, maybe my foot intrinsic muscles are just as important to my squat form as my quad strength or something along those lines. Uh, have you kind of noticed that same trend that people just tend to ne- neglect the feet because maybe they don't know about them, not aware of the importance and the role that they play? Or sure. Yeah, I think that there's, again, some parallels that you can draw with that with other muscle groups. And I'll pick on bodybuilders for a minute. Uh, you know, clearly a solid bodybuilder knows what to do to gain mass, right? And, and, and they tend to focus in, in, on these large muscle groups and these large movement patterns. And we'll see some of those patients in the clinic. And it's interesting if you see one of those guys and they've got a shoulder impingement issue, like a mm-hmm. tendonitis in the shoulder, you know, they're clearly manual muscle test strong out the nose. Right. Uh, but when I begin to isolate and look at proximal humeral head stability and the rotator cuff function, there's very little time that was put into those stabilizing muscles and then they're overusing the large muscle groups and causing problems. And, and people can kind of see that because it's kind of common thing. When it comes to the foot, you know, you kind of have to be a foot guy to be thinking about things like the foot intrinsics, or right. tibialis posterior. You know, you're either a provider or you're a, a foot geek. Mm-hmm. It's funny because runners are a little bit like that. They're, they're so neurotic that they do tend to research and know some of these things, but they don't really know how to make an impact on it. And so... I do think that they're grossly overlooked. I do think that um, the internet is both a great thing and a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. People can go out and find just a little bit of info. And so they, they begin to try to do things and they might create more problem than they do, than they do solution. 
Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of things like the functional movement screen and finding people who can help build prescriptive programs, not because everybody needs a course of therapy, but because if they've got a prescriptive program that meets their particular need, they can really focus on where their discrepancies are mm -hmm. and then build back up to the bigger picture of the broad scope exercise. No, I, uh, I couldn't agree more with that. And uh, I think that should be a little plug here to, you know, if you're listening, go get a screening from someone. It might cost you a little bit of money, but it might save you a lot of bit of money in the long run. I walk into the gym and I see people that are massage gunning their full body for 10 to 15 minutes. I don't know why you would ever do that in the middle of the gym, but that's their warm up is they just massage gun everything. And you, you shouldn't have to do a full body massage gun before you go in and squat 95 pounds. I'm sorry. Um, and, you know, the cost of getting one of these movement screenings, Brian said it himself, his clinic does them. The cost of that is a lot less than a $500 massage gun. So it might seem like a little bit of an investment up front, but you're actually going to save yourself some money over time. So I think this is kind of an important plug to kind of throw in there quick on the side because people never really consider the movement screening thing. People always focus on, well, what can I do to feel better right now? Right. And they never consider the root cause of the dysfunction. And we, have, we have a line that's a tagline we've used in a bunch of our marketing, but I believe it. And it, the line is move better, feel better, live better. Yeah. And the reason that move better is first is because if you're moving inappropriately, odds are it, it, it's a large component of why you're feeling the way you are. Mm -hmm. So big fan of figuring out movement patterns first. Right. And obviously, that uh, since we're talking about movement patterns, we've said already a lot of them start from the foot. They start from the ground up. So a lot of these uh, improper uh, patterns often come from things like improper footwear. Maybe it's the shoes too tight. Maybe it's too wide. Maybe someone's walking around in sandals all day, whatever it might be. So when it comes to general footwear recommendations for people, is there anything that you tend to recommend people steer clear of or steer towards? Sure. Uh, first thing I would say is fit is your key component. Fit mm -hmm. matters. Uh, and I see it time and again where people – use that old Google box, you know, they go out there and they find, <laughs> they find the next best thing on the market. Uh, I'll pick on a particular brand for a minute. You know, the Nike came out with the Nike Vaporfly a couple years ago, or I guess a couple, maybe a year ago. And, you know, technology is kind of cool. And you saw these high elite athletes that were wearing them. And so everybody's like, man, I, I should get this thing. Mm -hmm. It's a great shoe. It's an interesting technology. But A, it's not right for everybody. Right. And B, spending 200 plus dollars on something that doesn't fit you appropriately is a waste of money. And, mm -hmm. and most people do not know how to fit their shoes. They, they've, they're using some, some old methodology. They don't understand how the shoe should fit. And time and again, I see a lot of money spent on products with high technology that doesn't fit well. I would always take a less technologically complex shoe that fits like a million bucks mm -hmm. than I would a, a you know, high-tech shoe that doesn't fit well. So... Fit is, fit is absolutely key. Uh, and the second component of that that I would say is, you know, the, the days of specialty shoe stores and somebody who understands how to measure and fit somebody, they're getting harder to find. Yep. And they matter. And, you know, shameless plug for myself, you know, Appalachian Running Company, the reason we do it that way is that it matters. And, and the people that we draw in, why do they come back? You know, technically these shoes are all available anywhere. But they mm -hmm. come back because they find value in the service of what it is that we're doing. Matching the technology with the right fit for the right activity. 
Yep. Those are keys. You know, running shoes are great. Mm -hmm. Running shoes are great for walking and running. Uh, they're terrible for basketball. Right? <laughs> uh, so that's the other part of it is there are there there's there's entire industries of shoes. Right. And not everybody has all the money in the world to spend it. So you sometimes have to find shoes can be the broadest can be for the broadest scope of activities. But it matters. You, you have to match the shoe to the activity that you're using, as well as the fit, as well as the function. And those three things together will, will make for a successful shoe experience, if we can call it that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And obviously, with shoes, they are slightly customizable in the sense that you can add different insoles and orthotics into the shoe to slightly change the fit of it a little bit. When it comes to the world of orthotics, you've said it yourself. It's a billion-dollar industry. Everyone's jumping into it. I know one person who literally buys super feet uh, insoles by the half dozen. He'll go. He'll order six of them. They'll come in, and then a few months later, he'll rinse, wash, repeat. Um, so when it comes to orthotics, what do you tend to look for there? Is there anything that you tend to steer people towards? Is there any typical screening that you send people to, or should they just start by going right to a physical therapist? Loaded question. Um, <laughs> and it's a very, very challenging issue because in the world of healthcare and biomechanics, uh, believe it or not, orthotics can be a pretty inflammatory topic. Yep. Right? You're going to get people who will say, well, nobody should be wearing orthotics, you know, minimalism. And let me just first say that my philosophy is probably different than, than most. I'm clearly a believer in orthotic intervention for the right people. Yep. I do it in my practice on a regular basis with great success. Uh, but I literally do probably talk more people out of orthotics than I do into orthotics. Yep. Uh, if we're Americans. We love the quick answer. Mm -hmm. you know, don't make me do any work. Just make me better. Uh, I'm an American, so I'm only yelling at myself. We, we all like the idea. Can I get a pill? Can I get some magic bullet that's going to make me better? Right. Uh, I don't look at orthotics as that. I look at orthotics as an adjunct tool. Uh, that being said, when somebody comes into a shoe store, if they just say, boy, I'm looking for a comfort line item, there's a market for off-the-shelf retail inserts. If somebody says, you know, I'm on my feet in the warehouse, I just like the feeling of some arch support. You mentioned Superfeet. It's a great brand. We carry it in our stores. Yep. It's a good option, a low entry point, and a pretty good place to start. What I do from directing people, and when I have the opportunity to speak to people, I will always tell them it's wise to first get in fresh shoes that fit appropriately and are right for you. That's a great entry point. Mm -hmm. uh, consider an off-the-shelf insert if you're having some arch fatigue or some heel soreness, some mild discomfort. And if that mitigates the problem, relieves it, wonderful. You've got a pretty low cost entry point. You're in good shape. Yep. But if it doesn't, stop buying things. <laughs> because I can tell you that I, I have literally had people drag in hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in equipment that they've bought and looking for relief. And they're frustrated and they're exhausted. And it, it's, it's frustrating to me because I look at it and say, boy, you know, I see the plan of care that will work for you. And I'm empathetic that you've already spent all this money. But we kind of have to start to reboot. Right. I'm clearly biased to physical therapists. Uh, I am one. I think we are great <laughs> at assessing and evaluating people from the big picture. Uh, we're not going to tend to just give you a shot or prescribe medication. We're going to look at the reason why you have your problem. I subscribe to the idea that most foot-related pain disorders are mechanical in nature. Mm -hmm. And uh, short-term resolutions for that don't fix the problem. They may help the symptoms, but they don't fix the problem. So, right. Uh, don't overbuy. If you're having a painful problem, seek out somebody who has some experience in evaluating people biomechanically. Let mm -hmm. them do that. 
and then let them address you like a human, not just a foot. Right? Yep. You know, look up and down the kinetic chain, and if footwear and orthotic wear is a piece of that puzzle, great. It may or may not be, but uh, somebody who knows the whole picture and can kind of look at it all by by each bit and piece that fits where it belongs, man, oh day. I've seen it work so many times over and over that, that I have no shame in recommending it on a regular basis, whether the person's coming to see me or I'm referring them to somebody who's in another area of the state or country. Right, for sure. And I like how you touched on the orthotics piece are both biomechanical and slightly neurological in nature. They're going to correct problems at the root source of them. But if things are painful, you're also going to get relief as a result of that. So it kind of tackles both ends of the stick here. And I like how you kind of mentioned that this is kind of a investment in your health. It's going to pay dividends long term. A lot of people don't realize how much money they can spend on, you know, preventative measures and uh, self-treatments when it hits their credit card in 50 to $100 increments. But over the course of five years, 10 years, that really adds up quick. Sure. I mean, you mentioned your buddy is you know, six pair of uh, super feet. Yep. Even if you're getting them at bulk on discount, you know, you're spending several hundred dollars. Yep. And uh, I just had a conversation with a client this past week. She's done fairly well with yep. her off-the-shelf inserts, but she's frustrated with how often she has to buy them. <laughs> and uh, we just had a discussion like, you know what? Clearly this works for you. Maybe we go to one item that's more expensive but designed to last you a lot longer and can be refurbished periodically. Uh, so orthotics can be used in a, in a whole bunch of different ways to, to be efficient that way. You mentioned neurophysiology versus correcting a physician. I did want to speak to that because I think the literature on orthotic intervention, particularly on the physical therapy side, is uh, challenging to read at times mm -hmm. because we love to do things with research. Like we can, we can research something and then pass it with a broad brush across the population of people. Right. And foot orthotics is very difficult to do that with. In fact, a lot of things in physical therapy are challenging to do that with because it's very case driven, not broad based diagnosis driven. And uh, I can tell you that there's excellent data out there on case studies for orthotic intervention. But there are challenging studies out there about orthotics for applications of just a broad-based diagnosis. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, it is strongly suggested that orthotics are neurophysiologic in nature, meaning they can facilitate things like movement pattern more so than truly change position. I don't argue that at all. Mm -hmm. I just know that the outcomes that I see when they're prescribed the right way and you address the underlying problems that go with it, mm -hmm. success goes up tremendously. If you blindly try an orthotic on every person that has heel pain, your successes are going to be low because you're not developing a comprehensive program to, to treat the problem at hand. Right. It's uh, comparable to manual therapy in that sense. When we had uh, Brett Windsor on, he touched on this, how it's not actually the realignment of bones. Orthotic intervention is not going to change the position of everything in your feet immediately, but it is going to cause effects that improve your function, relieve your symptoms, and overall improve quality of life. At least that's the goal. The goal and if it's not happening, then go back because something isn't right. Right. And that's a great point. You know, from an orthotic practitioner standpoint, uh, at least in our practices that I can speak to, we, we train all of our providers that that the, the orthotic is a tool to get us to where we want to be. Mm -hmm. And we don't ever give that tool and say, good luck to you. Mm -hmm. We give that tool and follow up with you right. as part of a plan of care. And if things aren't nailing it, 
there are, this is a bit of an arts and crafts component, right? There's a, there's a handy component to this where you need to be able to modify and tweak and adjust. And, and that's what makes you a practitioner. Anybody and their brother can order an orthotic and stick it in a shoe, but if you are a practitioner and you understand the impact that you're making and you're willing to live and die by the outcomes of those impacts and change it, now you're a real practitioner and, and you can win that client over because they get it. You're their advocate. You are a team working together and this is just a tool to get you where you need to be. For sure. And I do want to ask too, how has your uh, role in providing orthotics for people changed amongst the... Um, the roles, the, the varying roles, I guess I'll say, that people have adopted as far as health and fitness is concerned. So before it was kind of, you know, we fixed the orthotics so people can walk better, people can move better. But now we've got people doing things that they didn't used to do. We've got weekend warriors, CrossFit is trending, Orange Theory Fitness, F45. It seems like every week there's a new trendy fitness thing and millions and millions of people are buying into it or, I'll go out hiking on the weekends and, you know, there's times when the parking lot's literally full and a couple of years ago, it wasn't this case. So how can you kind of help provide an orthotic intervention to someone that starts with the base level functions that they need, but also can help them with those higher level functions that people are so trendy towards right now? Uh, well, I'm not sure I completely understand the question, but what, the way I would answer what I think you're saying is this, um, one, you know, it, it's one thing when you're looking for just symptom resolution to get back to daily activity. Yeah. And is that the same orthotic they're going to stay with if they want to escalate their activity to other things? Uh, the answer to that is a lot of times, yes. Yeah. You know, you're not having to go into one product and then, oh boy, now I want to run. So I need another product. And oh, I want to do some lifting. I need another product. Yep. Uh, if, if you apply this well, there's a practicality to it. Mm -hmm. Like these things aren't cheap you know they're gonna right. go out and take a new mortgage on it to buy it either. But, <laughs> uh, you know if, if there are a few hundred dollars not not everybody wants to be spending a few hundred dollars three and four times through the year right right you, you, there's there's some cost to it so you have to think practically about application across the broad broad stroke of things um i'm thrilled when somebody comes at me with a first request of how can i just walk comfortably yep and then they come back and say you know what i'd really like to run a 5k yep and then man i'd really love to, to enter this, this 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 crossfit competition to me that is you're making lifestyle changes that are better for who you are as a human being and if i right. can have a small role in getting them to the point where where i've tackled one problem that frees them up to do those new things yep it's awesome and generally speaking i would say that the, the the challenge in some of the trendy things we see mm -hmm. are more with the uh, the certain trends. I'll pick CrossFit for a little bit here. <laughs> that uh, you know, there, there's such a push with the difference of, of how a CrossFitter is going to squat and how a mm -hmm. CrossFitter is going to lift, and the type of footwear they want to do it in, where it can start to almost counteract sometimes some of the things that we've done to get the person's symptom relief. Right. And we've got to find the sweet spot to where we can work with the client and work with the CrossFit population to say, we don't want to be banging heads with them. The healthcare industry bangs head with the fitness industry regularly enough as it is. We got to figure out how to play well together mm -hmm. to say, okay, guys, I understand your philosophy there, but mm -hmm. let's just be careful that we don't bust some people up yep. uh, trying to fit in your <laughs> philosophy, right? So uh, that that's kind of how I would look at what you have. No, I get that. And perhaps I could have worded it better. I just know that there's um, some people out there, uh, and maybe this is just me because I know them personally, but they kind of become reliant on their orthotics or certain foot positions for everything they do functionally. 
And from a practitioner standpoint, it's got to be difficult to build an orthotic that allows someone to squat where their butt comes all the way down to the ground while also walk comfortably, run comfortably, and and all be all. Yeah, that, that, understanding that part of the question, I would simply say um, one of the, I think, misconceptions about orthotic intervention is that once you're in an orthotic for a reason yep. that you always have to be in it forever. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. Yeah, uh, There are times where somebody will just have a painful issue and it, it's a part of the, the program that resolved the painful issue and they might wean out of it altogether. Mm-hmm. They might wean out of it for certain activities and only use it for running. Uh, you know, the footwear you use to run, you darn well shouldn't be used when you're when you're deadlifting and squatting, right? I mean, <laughs> if you are, we can have a different discussion about uh, the impact of that. Uh, you know, I don't want somebody in a high-pitched, soft-sole shoe to mm-hmm. be doing heavy squats yeah. or deadlifts. So the orthotic might change or not exist at all. You know, I might advocate for them. I'm a big advocate for some barefoot component to what we do for training. We need to strengthen the muscles in and around the foot and ankle. Mm-hmm. If the person doesn't have gross deformity, you know, if there's a gross ankle deformity or foot deformity that just puts them at risk for load on other joints, we have different discussion. But that's why it's a case-by-case basis, not broad brush. Yeah, I, uh, you saying that, I guess it's good you don't go to the gym I go to because the <laughs> amount of people that are lifting in Hoka's and Brooks, uh, you know, the ghost is a real popular one. And the amount of people that you see doing squats and kettlebell swings and stuff like that in these shoes and you just kind of cringe a little bit, like, is, is that really the, the best you could do there? Right. And, and honestly, that's that's low information. Yep. Um, and, and for some of these people, I guess I'd ask the same question. If I'm doing something, if anybody is doing something for the betterment of their health, and it does not look like it's a direct link to a risk of injury, I'd rather see them trying than not trying. Exactly. I'm always wanting to see them trying. Uh, but you mentioned Hoka, you know, the high stack, soft soul, <laughs> naturally unstable the shoe itself is designed to be unstable and then you ask them to do a, a static squat position where you want the foot to be stable a little bit counterproductive yep <laughs> uh, if i had that client with me or in our gym we would talk about hey you know you might want to wean away from that for these reasons so yeah we could all be better at, at maybe helping people learn those things yep would be would but- probably be helpful it would, but at the same token, I don't want to just walk up to random no, people at the that, gym. Don't want to be that guy. Don't want to be that guy. Yeah, that's not real helpful either. No. Uh, so with that, Brian, any anything else you want to share on the topics of footwear, the foot, and orthotics in general? Yeah, I think big picture, um, you know, like anything else, orthotics can be an inflammatory topic. And if we approach any topic with, oh, you should never wear an orthotic, or mm-hmm. you should always wear an orthotic, you know, we're both wrong. Yeah. And that's the first thing I would say is keep an open mind understand that the right type of practitioner looking at people with the right mindset uh, can use an orthotic as a, as a tool and don't be afraid of that tool. Uh, That would be my first thing. The second I would say is, man, find yourself a local shoe store, (laughs) find yourself a local shoe store who knows what they're doing. I'm not going to tell you it's going to change your life, but it might change your perspective on footwear substantially. We hear it once we hear it a thousand times where they'll say, man, you almost ruined me. Like I can't go back to wearing my old stuff. Uh, it just it is uncomfortable and, and the quality of what I've got is different. And there's, you know, there's a reason these places still exist that they haven't died off like a complete dinosaur. And mm-hmm. uh, if you haven't found your local store, whether that's a running store or a comfort specialty store, depending on who you are, 
uh, find them, use them. They're a good resource for you. And if you're in central PA, make sure you stop into the Appalachian Running Company because yeah, they they might be able to help you out with a thing or two from what I'm hearing. Yeah, we might. <laughs> so with that, Brian, thanks again for your time and uh, thanks for agreeing to join the show. And uh, we'll see you next time. I appreciate it. Thank you.